We're in the end game now. That was so cringy, and I'm leaving it in so you can sit there and deal with it. All right, guys. Welcome to episode 69 of Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. Nice. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne. Today, I'm here with my best friend and cringe lord, George Frizzard. What's going on? So, this is the last episode where you'll hear cars in the background, hopefully. I just got a new apartment. It's set far back on a... It's literally around the corner. So, I'm moving, like, line of sight from my apartment but I'm moving to an apartment that's like set farther back on the first floor. My office only has one window and it's obscured by a giant tree. And you're just going to cement it in, just close the window off completely at any daylight. Yes. Yes, I am. I already have my, my uh, blackout curtains. So there will, there will not be any more car noises, hopefully, but the new street I'm moving to is like the cross street of the one I live on. And it's less of a throughway for ambulances and police cars and stuff. Cause my street Goes from like one end of LA starting at Venice all the way to the other. One end of West LA. Mm-hmm. So it'll be a lot better. Moral of the story. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> next week. Not going to be living on a super highway of motorcycles and ambulances and fire trucks? No. It's, it's going to be great. And I've, <laughs> like, I've had some leeway. I've been taking stuff over because I like passed my new apartment on the way to work. Mm-hmm. So I, when I go to work, I put some shit in my car. And I stop on the way, bring it inside. So it's it's going good. Big moves, making big changes. Yeah, Yeah, but we also have a big review this week from Gingerbread Four Two Four Six Five. Yes, we do. Uh, First review in a while, so we appreciate it, Gingerbread Two Four Six Five. He says, "This is my new favorite podcast ever since I discovered it a few months ago. Luckily, I was stationed at at security work this late last summer, which means I had a lot of time to catch up on the podcast and discovered this show from Jimmy's YouTube channel." I was able to start from episode one and catch up to all the way to current, which made work much more bearable. I've been keeping up with it since it's great to hear you two friends talk about horror in a casual manner while also presenting diverse mix of information such as reviews, news, video games, etc. I've learned a lot of new information about the industry from this podcast I otherwise wouldn't have known, and I enjoy the boys' views and discussions. Great show. Thanks for the entertainment, Jimmy and George. So thank you very much, Gingerbread2465. You just covered, like, everything we're trying to do with this show and confirmed we're doing it. So I really appreciate that review. And he's been trying to leave it, I guess, for a long time. Oh, really? He's from, he's from Canada. So it's been on iTunes Canada, which we don't have, obviously. Oh, so that's strange. So we need, to, we need to check iTunes Canada and see if there's any reviews on there we haven't read. I've completely yeah, forgot I about wonder... that. Yeah, I wonder. Because we can check it. So yeah. we'll do that for next week. Yeah, I wonder if there's, like, a pool we can see of like all the reviews from everywhere so we don't we're not limited to just the usa version that'd be nice i'd like that (laughs) do we have any uh emails uh no no emails just that review okay cool so you can read if you want to write in an email it's fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com we just recovered it too it's great we can both get into it um and if you leave us an itunes review we'll read it on the show just like we read gingerbread two four six fives but george what, do you, what have you been playing this week? Uh, so, actually, this week I picked up Dragon's Dogma for the Switch. Uh, okay. N- new release, hot off the presses. And uh, I put a little bit of time into it, like m- maybe two hours or so. Uh, and so far, I'm, ha- I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's a, it's a cool game. So, I bought this, but I just didn't have time to play it yet. And I've heard, I thought it was supposed to be like a Dark Souls-y type game. 
But from watching videos, it seems like it's more akin to an open world monster hunter. Does that is that accurate? Yeah, um, definitely. I've noticed a lot of similarities, like in the quest system to a monster hunter, where um, like if you're familiar with Monster Hunter World, uh, you go out, you complete a mission. It's like quest complete. You get experience. You level up. All that good stuff. Um, the, there seems to be like a couple of classes you can start as and, and more advanced, almost like a job system from like Final Fantasy Tactics or something. I'm not entirely sure how it works, but I think, uh, as you level the different classes, you have access to more advanced combinations or, or something like that. Cause I've seen some classes that I don't have access to from the start, but people are playing them from the videos I watch. So, um, seems like there might be some cool complexities there. Uh, it also kind of reminds me a lot of a like a third-person Diablo-style game. Not not so much in the, uh, like, looting mechanics of finding new weapons and stuff, which I, I think they're, that is part of the game, but more so just in the play style of, like, kind of hack and slash. You have a variety of attacks you can use, level up, get new spells or, or attack, stuff like that. That's cool. How's the graphics and stuff on Switch? Uh, actually pretty good. Um, it, it's, from what I know, what I read about it, it's a port of the PC version, not of the, um, PS3, 360, or, um, like, Xbox or, or PS4, it's of the PC version, so apparently the textures are a little bit nicer, uh, than the console versions originally were. Um, I, I haven't seen too much issues with it, um, it, it looks pretty good on the handhelds, the only way I've played it so far, but... Um, I yeah, haven't. That's I, how I'm I've gonna heard, play it. Yeah, I've heard there's some popping issues and and some minor technical glitches, but uh, so far I I haven't experienced any any real issues with it so far. This is the rare game where I've seen a lot of reviews, not just one, say that the Switch version, because it can be played in handheld, is sort of like the best version of this game so far. And if you've skipped out on it, this is the one that you should get because it's only like thirty bucks. Yeah, that's nice too. So, like you said, it is at the discounted $30 price point, which is pretty cool. And it's a full port of the game. It's not this, like, Persona 5 bullshit we just got where they're making a Dynasty Warriors ripoff game instead of just giving us a port of Persona 5. It's the full Dragon's Dogma, but you can take it with you anywhere you go. And that just, that's cool for, like, a massive open world Monster Hunter, Dark Souls. I mean, just like a, a giant open world action RPG to have that wherever you go is pretty awesome is it like you make pick a class at the beginning sort of like dark souls or is it like yeah you just kind so, of build your character out as you go um the three class like there's a tutorial area you play through first where you fight a chimera and you play as just like a general like a knight character where you have a sword and a shield you play uh, as, like, I think the term they use is, like, the Ascended or the, ch- you know, basically, like, the Chosen class that's in any it's like you're, high you're fantasy like a RPG. who gets killed by a dragon, right? And then you come back. That, that's after it? the tutorial. So, like, <clears throat> after this tutorial, you show up, dragon kills you, and he takes your heart and curses you. And then... <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> so, you don't die, but the dragon eats your heart and places a curse on you. So, you wake up, like, out of your coma, and then you pick a class. You can be either a warrior, a... I forget what the second class is called, but it's basically like a rogue. It's like an archer, dagger, using character, or a mage. Uh, those are the three you have to start from initially, and then I assume the other classes unlock from there. You get new abilities or ways to change it up a bit. Eh, okay, cool. I mean, it's only 30 bucks, so right, you're not really I bought mi- it. Right, not, not losing out on too much. I believe <clears throat> a lot of it uh, can be played co-op, too. 
Um, there are like in-game NPC summons that are pretty common. Like uh, one of the main gameplay mechanics is being able to summon NPCs to oh, help yeah, you on your missions. Oh yeah, the pawns or whatever, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, so if you can, so I saw on PC people were modding in like <laughs> Isaac Clark from Dead Space and shit. Oh really? To be yeah, you can like mod in stuff, but apparently it's like a really robust creator for those pawns. So you can kind of make them with the game, like cool ones or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know if there is. Uh, I haven't played around with that. I didn't know if there was a way to actually like make your own pawns. Like if you have a team you can summon into battle, it would be kind of cool, you know, where you can kind of build out your support classes. You have a healer or archer or something if you're a more, you know, up close and personal fighter. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's pretty cool so far, and if those are what to look forward to, um, I'm excited to play some more of it. Okay, so I've been playing a lot of uh, Fallout still, but I've also been playing World War Z. I put a little bit of time into that, a few hours. So that game looks and plays really good. The only problems I've had with it so far, are like it drops out network-wise once in a while, so the matchmaking was a little rough at first, but they patched it a couple times, and it sold a ton of copies on PC specifically, so there's a yeah. ton of people playing it. I think I saw it past a million sold already. Yeah, the horde mechanic in that game is incredible. Like The first, very first level, you're sort of in the lobby of a mall, but it's one of those malls where like the whole front side of it is glass, and you sort of come in from the second floor and look out into the lobby, and you see... Like, I think it's like a motorcycle or something, go around a corner. And then this horde of, like, thousands of zombies goes around the corner. But then you have to start fighting them. Like, they start breaking into this mall. And the shooting feels really good. You can kind of, like, collect weapons in the field. But there's also classes with full skills that level mm. up, like skill trees and everything. And no, that's when interesting. You can kind of... So, the way you unlock weapon attachments is by using weapons. Like, when you use, a, like, AK-47 or an assault rifle or whatever, it gains XP. And you can unlock better versions of that gun. So when you pick up an assault rifle in the next level, if you've leveled it up, it'll be that one once you pick it up. It'll be like your leveled up one. So oh, okay. you can kind of like make the guns you want good. There's like a crossbow. You can also put down um, traps and stuff like barbed wire and mortars and everything. And like firing a mortar into a crowd of zombies, they don't play any tricks or anything like the explosion isn't pre-rendered at all. Like you fire a mortar in and these bodies just like fly up in the air, like hundreds <laughs> of them. It's and it doesn't chug at all. I don't know how they're doing it, but it's streaming is just like great. And you, uh, the multiplayer is really fun. Uh, so have you played with other people or have you mostly played by yourself? I've only played with randoms and you oh, don't yeah. like it's, it's, it's a lot of like corridor type stuff. There's not a lot of open areas and every, there's like, the, the goals you're doing are like turn on this generator or he hold out this defense zone. And there's one level where you have to be really quiet mm -hmm. and because there's a, a time or no. So you have to be really quiet because if you're loud, there's like a bar where the horde will be triggered and they'll come in. Then there's also a level where there's a time limit and you have to find all the pieces for this van. And if you find the pieces and like fix the van before the time limit expires, you're good. Like it's the end of the level. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, you still have to find the pieces, but the horde comes. <laughs> so you have to fight through zombies to get through this. So, so there's it's all, some really cool stuff. It's all a cool, you know, like the, it seems like the objectives are kind of broad enough to where there's no way to really fuck them up. Like, yeah. you're just kind of fighting zombies. So even playing with randoms is effective because you all have the same goal all the time. That's pretty easy and, and kind of why you picked up the game anyway. 
Yeah, and just the animations of the characters are done really well. So, like, I picked up this 50 cal large machine gun type deal, and it, it didn't have a lot of ammo, but I still got to use it. When you use it, you sit down on the ground, basically, and pull out the, the tri-fold legs and everything. So there's balance with the weapons, so it's not like you can just mow through everything. <laughs> and the zombies go down pretty easily. If you shoot them in the head, they'll die pretty much, but the gore effects are great. If you shoot them in the head once, their forehead blows off, but if you shoot them again, the, their whole head will blow up, and the, you can shoot their arms and legs off and everything. And they're fast. It's really scary. And all of the different um, environments, like you can go to Jerusalem, Tokyo, Russia, and New York, they're all different. They're all distinctly different from each other, and they all have three different, three to four different levels in each area. So is there like an A to Z path, like first you play through this area, then you play through this area, or is it basically just randomizing missions and, and playing whatever comes up next? Uh, you play through a campaign. So you go three levels, through, or three levels, four levels, four levels, four levels, basically. So it goes New York to Jerusalem to Russia to tokyo okay and there's characters in there like a guy will be like oh i'm not going to turn this train on unless you clear out all the zombies so there's there's a clear arc of the story it's a lot more like the book where it's a bunch of vignettes or whatever vignettes Mm. that tie together and but every character is the same archetype in each zone so you're always going to have the same classes but they're different people that's interesting I could see yeah. myself kind of getting behind that and, and playing it a bit. It's like thirty bucks on PC too, so it's not it's not a sixty dollar game, but it play it's a thirty dollar game that plays like a fifty dollar game, mm-hmm. which is why I think it works. So yeah, and- Saber Interactive made Vampire or Vampire, and that game was like a fifty dollar game that felt like a forty dollar game, but this is the reverse <laughs> where it feels more expensive than it is. Uh, would you agree with the general consensus that this is basically the closest thing to a Left 4 Dead game we're gonna get ever? Yeah, definitely. And with how many copies they've sold, I feel like DLC is just a, you know, not if, but when. Right. There's no way they're not supporting the shit out of this game because it's sold so well. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it already has a really lively player base. So, you know, they they have to kind of strike while the iron's hot and keep everybody interested in it. But I can see it really taking off and being being one of those games that's just always popular. Uh, if they keep, you know, if they support it well enough, or or open up to mods and let people create their own levels or something like that. And I can't imagine it's bad for this game that Days Gone is getting such like middling reviews. This game's getting like sixes, sevens, and eights, but Days Gone seems to be sixes and sevens. It doesn't, it's never, it doesn't seem to be breaking into the eight zone like this one is. And I think that's because this game's price point really kind of makes an excuse for some of the features that aren't totally baked yet but they made enough money on it where i think they could bake those features right like um i I haven't played uh days gone yet at all i haven't picked it up or or bought it or anything but um one of the main issues i'm seeing with it across multiple reviews that i've watched is basically that it has a lot of technical issues uh popping and frame rate glitching and yeah and uh like the first act of the game apparently the voice acting for the not the voice acting necessarily, but the matching to the NPC character models is completely off. And yeah, I saw that it's like only for the first area. <laughs> yeah, so, like they fix it later in the game, but they never went back and like wanted to make this the game, first impression so, count or something. They sent it out to a bunch of people early, but really early, like three weeks ago. And I guess in that time, they've patched it four times. So they, 
these people have been having to play this like broken state of the game right like kind of fixed and fixed a little bit more and now where it's at now but apparently colin moriarty that uh with from sacred symbols he was tweeting about how the world audio would just stop and he'd have to restart the game for a while but they fixed that i guess i don't i think i'm gonna get that game but i'm gonna wait till next week when i'm all moved in it the world in it looks really cool i like the whole biker aesthetic and everything and you know, we don't get that many horror games that have big budgets like this. Right. So I feel like I have to turn up. Because, you know, it's, I was thinking about it. With horror movies, we see everything. And even okay horror movies, we end up liking. So I feel like the games have that same leeway. And Fallout being as good as it is to me kind of just wrecked reviews for me. I'd rather just play something I'm interested in make my own opinion now. Because I feel like if you're a game reviewer, you're playing so many different games that it becomes almost too easy to separate the wheat from the chaff, and then you kind of get ignorant to what is actually fun about a game. You're like, right. oh, another open world game. It's not doing anything new in the garbage, you know? Right. But so. if that's a, a genre that you like, and they do something in a cool environment with interesting weapons, and I, I have I have seen some positive um, interactions with it too um, on Reddit. I've seen people post about it and saying that touch of detail is like really well done and. You know, it's fun when it when you play it and, like, riding the motorcycle is cool. And the hordes of zombies are fun to mess around with. So it seems like, you know, if you can look past some of the technical shortcomings and just kind of look at it for what it is right now, you can have some fun with it. I saw a great uh, clip on YouTube where a guy was in a cutscene. <laughs> the the in-game cutscenes, like, where the black bars kind of come down, but it's, mm. it's not switching to a pre-rendered thing. And uh, the main character, Deacon's talking to this guy on the ground who's kind of shot. And the guy's like, come on, please kill me. And then out of nowhere, a zombie horde just spawns in behind Deacon <laughs> and kills him in the cutscene. <laughs> I was like, come on. Like, you got to fix that stuff. But I don't know. I'm excited to check it out. And like I said, I put a 100 hours into Fallout at this point, And we're literally recording this podcast now so we can go play that right <laughs> after this. So, you know reviews right when a game comes out i feel like you know ign has started going back and re-reviewing games they did like minecraft or something they need to do that for a lot more games yeah they need to start covering fallout more because they just stopped covering it it's like they're like oh we gave it a five that means we can stop covering it it's like no just because you gave a game a five that's giving yourself a little too much credit a lot of people play fallout and yeah, and just blatantly uh, <laughs> ignoring it. And and they're not the only people that have done that. I remember, I think I saw a some kind of tweet or something from Polygon that was like really dogging on Fallout. It was like, although the game came out completely broken, the diehard fans like are still somehow finding enjoyment in Fallout seventy six like this far in. And it was just like, come on, man! Like you really think that like you're so much better than somebody who plays Fallout yeah. seventy six? <laughs> I, I just don't get it. It's like, it came out broken, but they stuck with it and fixed it. And you should be, like, yes, they shouldn't have released it. And the state it was released then, releasing it, I'm sure they learned that lesson. But it's still good that they stuck with it. And the right, content sh- they're putting in the game lately is awesome. Like, you should be applauding them for, it comes out, it doesn't get great reviews. A lot of people shit on them relentlessly. But they're still like, we're going to pump a ton of money and time and resources into making it what it should have been and like they don't care how many people play it they're like people bought this game and we're gonna make sure that it's something cool for them to enjoy so you you definitely have to give bethesda some credit for that and i willingly been okay with spending money on microtransactions in this game more than any other game 
they've done a really good job putting in you know unique really cool skins that are timed and themed with events that you can earn the atoms to get very easily but it just takes time mm. but i was like fuck it like i've gotten over 100 hours worth of time out of this game i'd rather just throw them 10 bucks and get this sick bone armor you know right <laughs> it's like i'm gonna use it <laughs> it's, they're doing cool stuff and the uh they're adding in a backpack in two weeks that's moddable so you can increase your carry weight Every, they, uh, Todd Howard said that they were going to put in refrigerators, so everyone thought that would be a premium thing, but it's actually a mod. You can uh, craft for your backpack so your food doesn't spoil as fast. That's cool. So that's really cool. And all this is free. Like all the content that they've released, most like for quests and events, new areas, like new full quest lines, that's all been free. And it's still Fallout. Like it still plays and looks. And sounds like Fallout. You're just not directly interacting with humans. And they've done some really cool stuff with that. And I'm sure people will jump in once they add NPCs. But that doesn't make any of the content in it not worth playing. Right. <laughs> like, there's still an endless amount of content in the game right now you can experience and have a ton of fun with. If, if you like the exploration aspects of Fallout. It's the only game I've ever played where I finish the main story quest line and i was like i i want to keep playing and there's so much more to do it doesn't have a great end game right now but the actual game is so big that you don't need an end game really right now right because there's still just, so many areas to explore and and find your you know if that's what you enjoy about a follow-up game is exploration and just kind of checking out the world that's what this game offers like i think they said the map's four times as large as fallout 4 so there's a lot of content in there and there's so much room on every end of the map to expand it out to new places and they did a really cool thing with that sheep squatch event he's finally in the game but you you had to like basically do an investigation and find out where he is and now he's in the game and it's a really good farmable legendary enemy and it scales too so like if there's more enough people instead of facing off against one sheep squatch it'll spawn two and they're always three star legendaries which gives you the best loot so and Fallout works like everyone gets loot. It's not shared. So it's they finally added in something that you can actually farm. And they gave uh, they added in that dungeon a couple weeks ago Harper, in Harper's Ferry. And now everyone's nuking Harper's Ferry because it increases <laughs> the level of the enemies in the dungeon. And it works. Oh, that's cool. So it's really cool. And uh, you can get some really cool stuff for that game. I moved my entire house across the map. I shared some cool pictures of it. But... Um, I'm really excited for that. It's like a Pioneer Scouts quest line where you join the Boy Scouts and basically work your way up to this, these backpacks. Yeah. The, I think the backpacks are going to be a game changer. Because you can kind of... You increase your carry weight by like 50 with most power armor, but if you have the um, excavator suit, that increases you by 100. But like you're not always in power armor. So it'll be good to have a backpack that'll increase your carry weight when you're just walking around. Yeah, definitely. Definitely a good uh, quality of life improvement. Yeah, so moving on here. First news story we have in here. So Rage 2, a trailer dropped this week that kind of just is an introduction to the game. It tells you everything you need to know, specifically that you don't need to know the story of Rage 1. <laughs> and it's a really good trailer. It really just shows off all of the different um, abilities and cool guns and the map and just everything the game's about. And I did not realize this game's out in like two weeks. Yeah, um, it's out, like you said, way quicker than I expected it. Um, but this is one that I was like pretty excited for when they first showed it off at 
that like Bethesda event was it E three or was it just before E three? Uh, where they had was, like well, remember Walmart Canada leaked it right before E three. Yeah, maybe it was E three then, but they had like the big Bethesda event where everybody came out and Todd Howard came out and they they did the whole thing. Yeah, but, that was their E three. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, but uh, like from that first night where they showed it off, I was like, this game's gonna be really awesome. I can't wait to check it out. And this trailer goes so hard, like. It, it it uses dubstep effectively somehow and yeah, makes the it's game not cringy at all. So <laughs> makes the I game just look absolute like a total blast. Like their you can tell their objective with the game is just make you have a lot of fun with it, and that's something that I'm deeply into. It's very much like a as crazy a Mad Max game as you could expect, with like the most wild superpowers and guns and explosions, and it's just about this wasteland world and destroying it so this is one that's definitely on my radar on my radar that i can't wait for yeah so if you want to watch that trailer it's called the rage 2 overview trailer and i also saw that there's a pre-order bonus for this game where you get the announcer it's like you pre-order the game and you get a code that lets you turn on the announcer from nba jam (laughs) so he like does like basketball nba jam style announcing over your first person shooter action that's so awesome yeah, so this, I think this game's going to be a lot of fun. It's definitely Avalanche's A squad. It's not their B squad. Because Avalanche has two teams. And one of them's really good, and one of them isn't. And they the one that isn't just put out that um, that's that big robot game. I forget what it's called. It came and went, because uh, Colin was talking about it in Secret Symbols. <laughs> he was like really excited for it. It was just terrible. <laughs> um, but this is definitely their A squad. So go watch that trailer. Also, Trick or Treat Studios... They're putting out Hellfest masks, and Hellfest is a movie where I had a lot of fun watching it, but I, if I really sat down and tried to critically pick it apart, I'm, I could find a lot to be upset about. But the mask that they use in the movie is pretty cool. Now you can buy it from Trick or Treat Studios. Yeah, and it's strange because the so the one mask that's in the movie they're calling the other, uh, that's the one worn by the main antagonist of the movie, that one is $25, and then they have two other masks, called one called Hell Devil, one called The Executioner, and those are $10 a piece. <laughs> yeah, so are they is the, are they all just vacuform, like, plastic masks? I, I think the other two are, probably the um, Hell Devil and The Executioner are probably just like a normal, you know, old school, like, plastic mask you would put on. Yeah, but I don't remember I, those from the movie. I don't think they were in the movie, Um but, but you'd have like to assume workers. you'd have to assume that the other mask is like a full one. Yeah, if, if they're it charging, like it. if they're charging over double, like almost yeah, over double the price, twenty five dollars for that mask. That one has to be better a, a, of a higher quality. There's no way to get around that. Yeah, so Tony Gardner sculpted these masks, and they come de- directly from the Alterian Movie Masters and are perfect screen-accurate ap- replicas of the ones seen in Hellfest, according to Trick or Treat Studios, who have said the same thing about the Micro- Michael Myers mask, <laughs> and it is not, in fact, a perfect replica. So I take what they say with a grain of salt, but they do look pretty good in the pictures. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is the first like movie replica thing I feel like they've done since the halloween 2018 movie mask debacle so i, they, I just they got definitely... my halloween mask by the way uh it's sitting on my couch looking right at me <laughs> i just brought it home I, this thing it looks immaculate now I, I bought it from them and it did not look great but then i sent it to this guy named charles briner 
who owns a company called KNC Collectibles, and he's he he went all out on this thing. I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna show in a video, but he did an incredible job. Like it looks like the movie one now. So I think the mold is right. They just didn't get the paint right. And, and I feel like that might be the case for this one. Like they definitely have more leeway with this mask than they do like the Michael Myers mask, since that's like an iconic horror villain that will always be popular. And this is, you know, the other from a movie that might not even get a sequel. Like it's like a fun one-off final destination style movie that like if they, if it's not screen accurate, no one's going to care. But if, if they can nail it, then people will be like, Oh, maybe the next one for a movie that we do care about will be good. Yeah. So someone find the one person who likes Hellfest enough to buy one of these masks (laughs) and ask them what they think of it around Halloween. (laughs) So, the next story on here is from Ari Aster, who directed and wrote Midsummer. It's the upcoming A24 movie that comes out in July. And he described his Midsummer movie as both a post-apocalyptic breakup movie and a Scandinavian folk horror film. And he was also talking to EW this week, and he said, The film is definitely mining the same vein as Wicker Man was working, but as a piece of folk horror, it's pretty irreverent. It, it's... Pretty reverent in that it doesn't really stay uncomfortably on that route. So, this sounds pretty cool. I'm really excited for this movie. I don't think there's really that much hype for it, though. No, and and I feel like if Hereditary is anything to base his movies off of, I feel like the kind of less you know about the movie going into it, the better. Um, like, I feel like I, I have all the information I need to go into the movie, where it's this kind of Scandinavian folk horror movie um, and it's like kind of this like you, you know like it's very like fantastical. It's a fairy tale, but it's kind of like a folklore, uh, and it's you know with Scandinavian route. So I'm sure we're gonna get like Nordic, probably some kind of Nordic god, pagan rituals. We're gonna get some like very trippy scenes. We might see some like you know really horrific monsters or or hallucinations. It, I'm already envisioning some things in this movie, but I'm sure I'm not. I'm, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to expect anything uh, going into it. Yeah, the weird thing about this is that Hereditary got a lot of word of mouth hype just from showing at festivals, but this one didn't show at any festivals, and they're kind of just dropping it. And I think they're kind of suffering for that. Like I'm sure once it comes out, if it's good, the word of mouth will come. But it's just weird how differently they're treating this. You'd think they just treat it exactly the same as they did Hereditary. Right, it, like, it, like it's weird because so I, I think what they're kind of banking on is now they have Ari Aster's name. Like, Heredity came out last year and it got such crazy word of mouth. Everybody talked about him. Everybody said this guy's a visionary. This is like the one of the best horror movies ever come out. Scariest movie ever. Blah blah blah. So it's possible that they're banking on if we just put his name on it, that'll be enough to get people in the theater. But I think a lot of people went and saw Hereditary that don't pay attention to stuff like that, that don't care who the director is, they don't care who's in the movie. They just, if they hear somebody say, oh, I heard this horror movie is supposed to be really good, they'll go out to the movie theater. And I feel like this will take longer to catch on because they haven't shown it and gotten that hype around it yet. I agree. It's That's basically just exactly how I feel. And I don't know, A24 is, keeps slipping up lately. Like, they really screwed up with um under the silver lake i heard i heard that movie's really good and they just got cold feet on releasing it in theaters and they just dumped it on the vod they just have a 
They, they, you know, A24 has always had an artsy feel, but they've managed to not feel pretentious, but lately they've been kind of feeling pretentious, and I don't like that. Yeah, the weird thing is that, uh, like, most of the movies I've seen, I've really enjoyed. I, I think that they are one of the more art house movie producers that actually do put out something that can be enjoyed by, like, the average moviegoer, but also if you're of a more critical eye or you watch a lot more kind of highbrow artsy movies you can get a lot more out of them than the average person would when they go watch it but i feel like they're they're leaning more into that than they should and i think that's probably going to hurt them if they continue down this path yes that's totally accurate it's just i don't know i don't really understand what they're doing and they also they set up a merch store on their website and they're charging like they're, they're pulling the Kanye West model where they're making they're printing garbage shirts on like Gildan t-shirts and selling yeah. them for ninety dollars and shit. <laughs> it's just it's there's a point where you're just you're parodying yourself and I feel like they're dangerously close to the edge on that. Yeah, I, I mean it's like where do you stop? You know, like you want to. I, I felt like they were in a really good place prior to Hereditary getting like this huge boost. Um, like basically the. It just, I think that kind of, like, inflated their egos a bit too much for their own good. I agree. And they had luck with The Witch. They had luck with Hereditary. Now they've got The Lighthouse coming out, and that looks great from Robert Eggers. They also casted Anya Taylor-Joy in Robert Eggers' Nosferatu remake. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he, he's got to be starting that soon, because I think he's been shooting The Lighthouse for a long time. I think that movie's pretty much done. But I don't know. Uh, I'm excited for Midsummer though. It looks great. Yeah, I, I mean, I like their movies. I just think they're kind of going about releasing them the wrong way. Like, I hope that they don't go under for being too pretentious or, you know, not smart about how they release their movies. Because uh, I want them to do well, and I want them to keep making these, like, really out-there horror movies that we've come to enjoy so much. Yeah, because Annapurna kind of pulled the same shit that they're pulling now, and Annapurna ended up going bankrupt because of that so right so they're, i hope they're, that doesn't happen they're on a dangerous uh tipping point right now if they don't kind of course correct yeah so that's coming out on july 3rd but coming out i think on june 28th is annabelle comes home the directorial debut of gary doberman and so vera farmiga is confirmed to be a character in this movie which is pretty cool and so is patrick wilson so this will be really cool to see as the third conjuring movie and basically there's a babysitter hanging out with the daughter of the Warrens, who's uh, played by McKenna Grace, and her name is Judy. And so there's the babysitter and her friend, and basically the babysitter gets seduced by Annabelle, and all of the dolls and shit, and all the scare artifacts get loose in the Warrens' house. So um, this one is very important, though, because Gary Doberman wrote and directed it. So I have a feeling, knowing that the... The movie that just got announced. What is it, George? The Salem's um, Lot re- remake. Yeah, the Salem's Lot remake. Over at New Line. Knowing that just got announced, I feel like this is kind of like Gary Doberman's directorial chance to be like a good director and then maybe get that movie. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think this, like you said, is probably a good like testing ground for him to see if he's got the chops to actually make it good. But I think that that alone, you know, him making this movie, his name's all over it. And already they've announced that he's attached to the Salem's Lot project. Uh, I feel like that kind of adds a lot of credence to this coming out and actually being 
continuing the trend of the Annabelle sequels being far, far better than the original. Where I feel like if, if this came out on the early buzz test screenings, everything was pretty eh on it. Like, oh great, we're, we're going to see uh, Curse of La Llorona again, but with uh, Annabelle 3. Um, they probably would, would kind of tone down the fact that Doberman would be attached to the Salem's Lot remake. But I think the fact that they're kind of toting it and, and showing it as a badge of honor, that this, this movie has a chance to actually be good. I agree, and Annabelle 2 kind of escaped the problem with these Conjuring movies, where Annabelle 2 had a good story, it wasn't just built around the scares, and I feel like that's kind of what they're doing with Annabelle 3, I'm really hoping, just by including both the Warren parents and their daughter and two babysitter characters, there's a lot of people to play with in this movie, and I feel like Warner or New Line is looking for someone like Gary Doberman, where they can assign him 50 million scripts, but also give him movies that he can write and direct, like that's I feel like ultimately what they want someone who can handle these Conjuring spinoffs and not only write them, but direct them. And if he can prove himself on this, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be cast as the director too for the movie he's already writing, Salem's Lot. Because, you know, you could think like Andy Muschietti, after he does It Chapter 2, Salem's Lot would be a good follow-up, but I'm sure he wants to do something else. Right, I'm sure he doesn't want to, you know, only do Stephen King adaptations the rest of his career. You know, he probably wants to move on and do other things. So, you know... Give it to the guy who's willing to to do these kinds of movies and has proved himself on a conjuring, you know, a conjuring movie or two. And, and I mean the, I mean I think just having the Warrens in this, having Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga in the movie, is a, also a big vote of confidence since both of them are like probably the strongest actors in the conjuring universe and are the best characters. I mean they're the backbone of the entire universe that this these movies are based on. So I feel like them signing on and being in it is. A good sign for this movie i completely agree and if this is a good movie and the conjuring 3 sucks this will kind of serve as the conjuring 3 which is yeah good. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a, you kind of have like a do-over with the conjuring 3 you can pick which one you want to be the conjuring 3 exactly and then you know speaking of movies that might turn out good but probably won't uh child's play we got a new image of chucky and once again he looks completely different <laughs> than he did in all the other images so we've seen him smile in the trailer we got an image of him before the trailer came out mm-hmm. we also see him peek out from behind a dresser in the trailer we got an image of him playing a board game with andy and now we have this one of him like looking over andy as he's sleeping and in each and every one of these pictures it looks like a completely different character yeah, and I don't know what is causing that. I don't know if they li- if they honestly do have that many different models of the doll that they're using in the movie, <laughs> or if like through test screenings and editing and and seeing what they have and, and reworking it. I mean, obviously, from what we see in the trailers, you know, him being completely masked in shadow, them only showing like the human actors in the movie. They they were desperately, desperately trying not to show the Chucky doll in any of the early trailers of the movie. That's just a fact. I don't know why, because now <laughs> since that trailer's out, they put out like five images that are close up shots of this fucking monstrosity's face. <laughs> I mean, like, like, I, like I was saying, I, I don't know if it's just that they keep changing it because they they have one look, they put out something, they get negative reaction, they try to change it, or or they. They put something together, they look at it, and they go, yeah, that's not right. we got to go back to the drawing board and keep... Ch-. Like, they don't have a lot of time to finalize how Chucky looks. And it being so inconsistent and so hidden every time we see the doll... It, it, I mean, this this might not even be what he looks like when you actually go to the theater and see the movie. It's like... 
<laughs> like, what are we going? What are we getting ourselves into with this? The children of YouTube are in denial. I will say they uh, they think that MGM is pulling a bait and switch where they're showing us this bad doll only to impress us when the movie comes out. I'd and say my that's like to that fourteen million that to one. Has never have like never happened ever, and it wouldn't happen with a movie that only cost nine million dollars. The only reason that this keeps happening, George, I'm going to tell you why. Because they fucking rushed the shit out of this movie. They sat down with the intention of spitting this out as quick as possible, and now it's coming to bite them in the ass. Like, that's just the fact of the fucking matter. Like, yes, they got lucky with the script. Script apparently is great. They got lucky they got Ari Plaza on board. Heard she's awesome. They got Gabriel Bateman doing a pretty good job. They got Mark Hamill. He's excited about this movie. That's all well and good, but... Even if the doll does look bad, it would have been nice if they could find a consistent look for it. I'd argue that consistency is better than overall quality at this point. Because it's one character. It's not 50 million characters. I know a lot of people are saying that, like, oh, maybe he's going to transfer his consciousness between dolls. It's like, no, dude. You're just fucking in denial. But even so, like, why would there be 50 versions of the My Buddy doll that he keeps (laughs) transferring between? I I guess the fucking entire plot of this movie... and. Everyone got mad at me. They're like, eh, it's not going to be as bad as you're saying. There's no way they'll do it this way. I guess that he was going to be like Terminator. I guess that he was going to hack into Wi-Fi signals and take control of devices. Everyone called that stupid. And then as suddenly, when it's confirmed, oh, everyone's so excited about that fact. <laughs> I also guessed that the doll, Chucky, is an obsolete version, right? And his mom, uh, Andy's mom, gets him this obsolete doll. And then at the end of the movie, Chucky's going to hack into all the Buddy 2s at the launch event at this toy store, which is what we saw in the first trailer. It's what we saw in that leaked set photo that that Instagram model said she was going <laughs> to sue people as MGM over. It, they've been so accidentally transparent with everything about this movie, and I don't understand why people are so willing to give them the benefit of the doubt with it, when all they've done is prove that they don't deserve it. I just don't <laughs> understand. Like, I guessed everything. It's so annoying. <laughs> I mean, and this is uh, not our first Chucky rant, so <laughs> we, we've been kind of dogging on this movie for a while, but uh, th- these new photos that came out, I think this was from uh, Entertainment Weekly, just really does not put any more uh, confidence in this movie being any good. I, I, think it, I think the trailer, that second trailer, it really made me feel positive about everything except Chucky. So... Why did they need to make this a child's play movie? You know, they've changed the origin story of Chucky so much that it could have literally been anything else. It did not need to be child's play. Yeah, but but if it was called Buddy, it wouldn't have made, it's not, you know, it'll make more money as a child's play movie than it will as a, you know, a new killer doll IP would. We're going to talk about a good movie now. Uh, Elizabeth Moss. She's going to be starring in Lee Whannell's different take on Universal's The Invisible Man. And everyone seems to be really excited for this movie. And she sat down with The Hollywood Reporter. She says, I haven't gotten into what I'm allowed to say yet. I'm pretty sure I can say that I'm not The Invisible Man. That would be weird. (laughs) She said, it's a little bit of a different take. Part of the reason why I wanted to do it is that I actually felt like it was a really feminist story of female empowerment and a victim kind of overcoming something. I don't even know what I'm allowed to say about it. I'm not The Invisible Man, but there is one. (laughs) But there is uh, an Invisible Man. (laughs) So she seems like she's having fun with this movie, and I like that a lot. Yeah, I'm I mean, really excited. It, you know, coming off of being kind of a bit part in Us, um, 
it's kind of cool to see her continue down this horror path and and be in the new Invisible Man movie. Um, I mean, it's it's cool to see her her career kind of grow. I know she was in Handmaid's Tale and Mad Men, so she's she's definitely on a, a good trajectory horror movie wise. I saw like Jimmy Fallon mean tweet that was like, I don't know if Elizabeth Moss is ugly or if I'm just stupid for thinking she's hot. And she was just like. <laughs> Fuck you. And it was like the meanest fuck you I've ever heard. I really like that. That was cool. I, I think this is like a good take from her because, you know, a lot of these older horror stories like The Invisible Man or Frankenstein, they really are, you know, feminist tales. There's a lot of good feminist horror movies out there. And it's not really putting a twist on the story. It's a feminist story from the very beginning. And so I find with her feeling that way about it. And Lee Winnell's a great writer. I, we don't know who's direct uh, attached to direct, but... Uh, I think she'll be a great main character for this movie. That's not the Invisible Man. Yeah, I mean, because that, that'd be weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's an interesting take. I mean, you you know they're coming back with these old school Universal monster movies, and like you know they really kind of dropped the ball when it came to the Mummy and when it came to Dr- Dracula Untold. So this is oh like God. really their their <laughs> hail Mary to save the idea of the these Universal monster movies coming back in a modern way. Uh, so if the, if they mess this up, it's really dead. And if they do it well, this could open the door for a lot more of these. So this is very much a, a make or break situation for, for these characters. Yep. And the last story this week, George, is that Rob Zombie's Three from Hell has been rated PG-13. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's rated R for strong sadistic violence and graphic nudity. Shocker. So, am I right? A Rob Zombie yeah. movie with strong sadistic violence and graphic nudity? People are really excited for this movie. I'm actually like, the hype bug has bit me a little bit. I, I, I just, I like <laughs> Rob Zombie. I like him as a person. I just always look back to that image, that screenshot of him on Facebook shredding that dude for making fun of baby metal. Oh, yeah. He's like, they rock harder than anyone I've ever toured with. It's like, <laughs> so cool. Everyone says he's great to work with. Like, I don't know. I think this could be his comeback, and I'm pretty excited for it. It just... We knew it was going to be rated R, but now that we know it's rated R, it feels good. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like check, I, I, it's checking off a box. <laughs> I mean, it would be a Rob Zombie movie if it wasn't rated R. I mean, he just he has that style that's so gratuitous, so over the top that if it wasn't that, then I'd be worried more so yes. than I already am. Exactly. <laughs> so hopefully, we get the trailer soon. He finished. Ed- he's done with it. He was like. <laughs> He's so matter-of-fact. It's hilarious. He was like, yep, um, I finished that two days ago. It's done. I've been working on it for a while. Also, <laughs> it's coming out around, like, the September range. So, you know, wait for that. So we got to be getting a trailer soon. Yeah, I'd say, um, do we know if this is going to be, like, a VOD or a theatrical release? I think it's going to be both. Like, okay. either a limited theatrical with VOD or a full theatrical with VOD soon after. Because it had a really small budget. I think it only had, like, a million dollars or something. They oh, yeah. shot over a month. And they land like one shooting location, uh, which is a abandoned women's prison up in uh, Northern California, I think. So I don't know. Well, either what do you think we'll get first, the trailer for this, or the trailer for it, Chapter Two? <laughs> they're I both mean, coming around around the same having, time. Yeah, I mean, they're both coming out in the same month. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'd hope that it Chapter Two gets a trailer first, but you never know. Yeah, me too. Um, I. I'm excited for this, so <laughs> I just want to see a trailer. I want to see what's going on with the three from hell. He put on a shirt today that has the um, 
a newspaper story on it about the three from hell escaping, which I think is going to be the end of the movie. So I don't know why he put that out, but uh, it doesn't have Sid Hag on it. It has Otis, Baby, and then this new character named Disco, who's played by one of his new mainstays. So I don't know if he's spoiling shit or if he's just like, this would be cool. I'm going to put this shirt out. <laughs> right. Like this is a, a variant cover of this newspaper that is exist- existing in this movie that hasn't been released yet. You so, never know with Robert Zombert, dude. He's, he, he's on his own fucking wavelength, man. I mean, you kind of got to respect him for that, that he's very much his own animal. Have you seen the amount of cameos in this movie? It's insane. No, I, I haven't it's seen like, one. It's literally, it's like a fucking Jay and Silent Bob or like any other Kevin Smith movie <laughs> where everyone's just popping up. It yeah. feels like that. Like, where it's like everyone that's ever been, in a, ever been in a Rob Zombie movie is in this one. Yeah, so D. Wallace... And there's two other people that are kind of noteworthy that kind of resemble the three from hell. So everyone's kind of thinking once they get into prison, there's going to be a rival gang or like family of serial killers that they're going to have to com- kind of compete with, which sounds like a cool yeah, setup to that's me. That's a cool premise. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll, we'll keep on, we'll keep on top of this one. People are excited <laughs> for it though. Like I did a video on, um, on this movie and it blew up. Like it got 50,000 views. So people are excited. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our review of Avengers Endgame. It's going to be spoilers, though, so if you don't want to hear that, just, like, go. We'll see you next week. Okay, we're back from our quick break, guys, and this week we're talking about Avengers Endgame. So George and I both went and saw it last night, and we're both massive marvel fans i would say like we've seen every movie in theaters multiple times when did we start hanging out though so what uh like freshman year of high school yeah freshman year of high school is when we like became really good friends so that's probably when we started seeing these movies what we graduated high school in 2011 so 2007 so we we started hanging out right around the time iron man came out yeah like a year before yeah so we've we've definitely seen all of them together then yeah, pretty much. Because that's crazy, dude. We didn't see <laughs> we we did we did see Iron Man two together because Sean saw it without us. So me and you went and saw that. I remember mm-hmm. Iron Man three. That's the only one I don't think we've seen together because I saw that with my mom in Florida. And, and that's then, crazy. And there's some more recent ones like we didn't see Captain Marvel and. Uh, oh yeah, right. Because I live in California. <laughs> but we saw Avengers. We saw Infinity War together. We yeah. saw Avengers two together. Um, what didn't, what else didn't we see? We didn't see Spider-Man together. Okay, so there's a few, but we've seen them all. That's the point. Yeah, We're both pretty the, the main point is we've seen all, like, 21 movies I, that led up to this. It just contextualized it for me when I was, like, watching <laughs> this movie last night. I was like, damn, we've seen a lot of stuff together. Yeah. <laughs> and... We're both fairly into the comics. Like, I really like Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor, and Spider-Man. And you've read a ton of Iron Man, right? I, I've read a little bit of Iron Man. Um, like, I've read I all the... you were really into the extremist story. Yeah, the extremist story is cool, and I've read, uh, like, Demon in a Bottle. Like, I've read a lot of the, like, greatest hits of his character, but I haven't read, like, long runs of it. Uh, just I read the entire... Pick, picking and choosing. I read... When um, Jason Aaron started writing Avengers, I read that from beginning to end of Infinity. That was really cool. And I read most of Secret Wars. But then I kind of bounced off the bigger, larger Marvel Universe, mm-hmm. and I stuck with Thor, because the Thor comic is so good. 
It is just meticulously written. It's been scripted for years. It's it's just so good. It's awesome. They pulled so much of it. But um, I really like Spider-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy. So this movie, this is kind of like, this was the real ending of the Marvel Universe, right? So yeah. it, it, it felt like part of Infinity War, but it really felt like its own movie, which I think is good. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was, this movie was the culmination of the, like, 11 years of them making these movies that we wanted to see in Infinity War, but we actually got the real conclusions in this movie. It it felt like a real bookend. I I mean, the third act of this movie is the most, like, comic book put-to-screen scene I think I've ever seen or ever will see in my entire life. Yeah, the only thing I can remember in my entire life, um, you know, matching it is the end of Ready Player One. It's, yeah. It's, it's that scale. It's I, so big. But it, it feels right because it's one universe. It's not every universe smashing together that you've ever seen your entire life. Right. It's crazy because it's literally a spectacle on that scale of like a massive war between all these characters that we've watched for 11 years building up to this. Like it really feels... Like an insanely huge moment when you sit back and look at all this and you go, every character that I'm looking at on screen has had like four hours of backstory that I've watched. This is insane. (laughs) Yeah, and everyone that needed to get an important part got one. It was very centered on the core Avengers that started it all. Like Black Widow, Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, the Hulk, Hawkeye. Like all the main people. They all got character moments. But then you get people like Rocket, you get Nebula in there, you get um, Ant-Man, he has a bunch of great moments. Like It was just really cool that everyone got, everyone that didn't get a moment in Infinity War got an ex- insanely cool moment in this movie. And I felt like that was important. Not, not only that, but I think that this movie pays a lot of fan service and is just a huge love letter to anybody that's followed these movies for years. Like So much so to the point where they revisit old movies and kind of show you, like, the greatest moments of those to be like, remember when Avengers came out and how cool that was? Like, first time we saw these, like, five Marvel heroes together? Well, we're doing, like, 30 Marvel heroes in this movie. Yeah, it's crazy. I watched Avengers 1 a couple weeks ago, and that movie feels so small now. But at the time, it was such a big deal. I mean, it, it was a huge deal. I mean, it was, like, the first time we saw this ensemble cast of superheroes that each had their own movie going into it. So they were fully formed characters that all had a backstory that were all meeting together to fight one common enemy. I mean, that was that's like had never been done before at that point. And now, well, that was 2012. So seven years later, we get this like other movie that's like four times the scale of that. Yeah, and just how the way everything came together just really worked out. It really messes with your expectations. Like the story, I think we all kind of knew what was going to happen going in Like the time travel aspect of it. I think it was incredibly easy to guess. We all kind of knew that's what what was going to happen, but the way they executed on it was really good. Uh, It looked good. It was believable. They hand waved the only the things that don't matter. You know, they explained what they needed to explain and they went deep cuts with like Hulk being, you know, the yeah, halfway prof- Hulk. Professor Hulk they put in. and really like, cool. Yeah, like, there's definitely a lot of nods to, like, if you're a comic book guy or, or even, like, tangentially related to that. I mean, they did, they recreated the, like, Hell Hydra scene from that one Captain America comic from a couple years ago. Uh, like, just a lot of cool callbacks like that. 
Um, like, seeing Cap 1 from, like, one timeline fight the Captain America from another timeline and doing <laughs> his, really like, cool. his, like, I can do this all day line that, like, you wanted to hear. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, that's been Cap's catchphrase since, like, the beginning. So it's just cool to see these characters that, like, we know so well interact, like, years and years later when we've seen them over and over again. Yeah, and it's cool that, you know, as time went on, Captain America and Iron Man basically became 50% of this universe, you know, where each of them were main. You couldn't really pick one main character over the other. And I mean, literally boiling down to that being the plot of Civil War. Of yeah, half, exactly. <laughs> like, characters picking sides on which one they wanted to be with. I... I really, I love, I love what Iron Man did, right? I love, like, what it started. I like the character a lot, but Captain America is what I really latched onto. Like, that's the character that I like. And even that, like, him being my favorite of the bunch, pretty much, he took a little bit of a backseat with his ending to Iron Man, and I thought that was really smart. You know, like, you can like any of these characters as much as you want, but this is, like, from the very beginning, Iron Man's story, you know? Oh, definitely. Like, and no question. And this movie ended Iron Man's story in a really cool way. And it's like, you went in knowing he was going to die, right? Because, you know, that's just, you just know that's going to happen. But the way they did it was so perfect. Yeah, with, like... Uh, uh, just it, all of it. Yeah, it felt like a real send-off to the character. It, like, did not feel shoehorned or cheap or that he's coming back in a year and, and don't worry about it. Like, it felt like a legitimate end to the character, um, and, and it's like, his arc is really interesting because he's a guy that, you know, his whole goal, the entire movie, like he starts off as basically a warlord where he's selling weapons to like both sides of the war because he funds a weapons, like he's the CEO of a weapons company. And by the end of it, he literally sacrifices himself to save the world. Like his views completely change over the course of these movies. And it's so interesting to see. Yeah. And we both, we both liked Captain Marvel. We thought both thought it was a pretty good movie. And I thought it was great that she played such a very minor part in this movie. Not because of like what her characters or anything, but they kind of made it seem like she was going to be the end-all be-all of killing Thanos. And I was kind of pissed about that because this isn't her story. She was introduced one movie ago, basically. Right. <laughs> like, like, she's a new character. And I'm fine with her being the focus going forward, her replacing Iron Man, essentially, because that's, that's fine. But... Um, She's in two scenes in this movie for the most part. She does exactly what she needs to do, and then she's out. It's like she understands that she's not exactly part of this, and I really like that. I think bringing back Spider-Man and finally making something bad happen to Peter Parker, <laughs> that was so important. That's the one big thing I felt like Spider-Man was missing in this universe was that, yes, his Uncle Ben died, but it obviously didn't have as much of an impact on him in this universe as it did in the other one. Well, I don't know if it's not that it didn't have a huge impact on him, but it's, I mean, it happened off screen for us, the audience. Yes, we've seen Uncle Ben die before, but, you know, we haven't seen this Peter experience we don't know any that, kind of grief. We don't know if all. that was the same kind of Uncle Ben death, though. We don't know if right. that's how he became Spider-Man. It doesn't matter. He So to us, he never had that life-altering moment where he realized that his job is to be Spider-Man, not Peter Parker. And now, now he gets it. You know, he had, he had to watch his basically father figure die, you know? Right. That's And he can't save him, and that's important. That needed to happen to Peter Parker, and I'm glad that they held out and made it happen in this movie. I feel like that was great. I love that they finally brought Valkyrie into this because she was so good with <laughs> Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, and then it's kind of sad that, like, they might just shoehorn her into an existence of running new Asgard. 
Yeah, I really hope... So, at the end of the movie, right, they set up with Thor being a Guardian of the Galaxy now, which is perfect, because that shows that he's coming back, even though his contract ended with Avengers 4. So, that's good. They've extended his contract, probably, I can guess. I'm sure he'll start talking about it more in the next couple weeks. I'd love to hear that. I really hope they left room open for him to show up in Guardians 3, but also come back in a new Thor movie, where as new Asgard grows too big under you know, the prosperity of Valkyrie running, <laughs> not fat Thor. And they have to find a new planet, you know, cause that, that feels like a great setup for. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I mean, it's cool because we see Thor kind of get this meteoric rise in not only like power scaling where he becomes like much more powerful, but he just becomes a far more interesting character starting with Ragnarok where we get a director that actually wants to do something different, make him a fun character, make him funny. And so we, we get this, like, really cool new Thor in Thor Ragnarok, and then he shows up in Infinity War and is, like, steals the show as this, like, super awesome character. He comes back in this movie and also steals the show as, a, like, completely hilarious, fat Thor, you know, this unworthy character. And so now, now he's an Asgardian of the galaxy. Like, he, he's, he's just definitely on a way, way upward trajectory from here. Yeah, it felt like... It felt like the other two Thor movies just didn't happen, but... I thought it was really cool that in Endgame, they picked the best moment from Thor 2, which is, like, his relationship with his mom. And that's right before she dies in that movie, which is pretty sad. Thor 2, I don't think it's a fair shake. I think it's pretty. it has some really good moments in it. So I'm glad that they picked the best one from that. I really liked what they did with this character because I've read the Thor comic since Thor 2 came out because I really like Thor 2. And then I caught up and I read through all of it when Jane was Thor and then up until she dies... And then after that, when Thor's unworthy and he kind of goes through why he's unworthy and stuff. And they did a really good job of taking the themes and the best aspects of that and applying it to both Infinity War and Endgame without following it literally, which is what I think they need to do, which is what they don't with everyone. So I really like that. They can take inspirations from like the popular comics that work well, but they don't have to make it so bogged down by... Yeah. You know, confining to the rules of each person's comic. They can basically just take these themes and ideas and kind of mush them into their story that they're telling. Right, like Ragnarok was a mix of Planet Hulk and, uh, you know, Unworthy Thor. So he loses right. Mjolnir, he's broken down, and then you've got Planet Hulk, obviously. And then Endgame, or Infinity War is when he, you know, gets his eye back, makes Stormbreaker because he can't wield Mjolnir. It's not because he's not worthy. It's because Mjolnir is literally broken. And then in this movie, he regains his composure a little bit after losing it from being scared because Thor has had the most tragic story of any character in the entire MCU. He (laughs) lost his mom. He lost his dad. He lost his brother all permanently. His entire planet gets destroyed. Then after that, a bunch of them get killed. And then after that, half of his people get cut in half again. You know, like... And he feels like it's his fault that he didn't stop Thanos and he goes in this incredible depressive spiral because of it and becomes plays fat and, and like plays Fortnite and just hangs out with Korg all day drinking beers. I mean, it's like, uh, you, he has definitely one of the biggest impacts on his character. Where you can see how the events of the movie affect him more so than a lot of the other ones. Yes. And they set up a great comeback for Loki. Cause you know, Loki takes the Tesseract and pieces out. So that's good. Because Loki's going to have a TV show, so they're going to have to figure that one out. <laughs> they didn't really set up anything for uh, Wanda and the Vision, which is weird because they have a TV show coming out. 
Yes, and it takes place in the 50s? I I saw that was a rumor, but I don't know I don't know how how or why they could do that. Yeah. I know that they're doing um a what if show where Peggy is Captain America. I think that could be fun. But um also I I'm glad they didn't really focus on Sam or the Winter Soldier cuz we know they're getting their own shit coming up. And I'm really glad that Sam uh became the new Captain America going forward instead of Bucky. I know everyone was thinking it would be Bucky, and I never really got on board with that. I've always thought it should be Sam, just ever because he just did such a good job in Winter Soldier. Like I was sold on him being, you know, a main character ever since then. So I'm glad he's taking it up going forward. The the thing is, like, he works well as like a duo to Captain America. Like they work well together as one of them is Captain America. Like captain america and he is winter soldier like he's not captain america he's his own character not yeah. necessarily a sidekick but he has his own attributes he's got the vibranium arm i mean like yeah they're both like hand-to-hand combat guys but they're different characters and to see him have to kind of take on the role of captain america and still be the winter soldier i don't think would work as well as him teaming up with a new captain america and them going and continuing on that like legacy of them hanging out together right and I think it's great that Gamora's back. I think that's good. I don't like that she lost two movies of plot development, but that's a great setup for Guardians 3, going to find her and, you know, convince her to stay with the Guardians. And yeah. Because um, the Guardians are... Uh, I, I don't think it's... I, I, I mean, they're, like, probably the most fun characters to watch in the MCU. Um, their movies are, you know, usually just, like, a really... You know, it's got, like, really good music. It's got fun characters. They go around to really cool, interesting planets and, and see things that are, like, very fantastical as opposed to the very grounded, as much as they can be, uh, movies of the other Avengers. So theirs are always, like, a really fun side adventure. So I think just seeing them hang out with Thor now is going to make them even better. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm so excited for that. And getting to see the greatest hits of all the Marvel Universe, like... Seeing Avengers and seeing the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy from third-person perspective with Rhodey and Nebula. Right. <laughs> which is, like, so good. It's like, so basically, he's an idiot? She's like, yeah. <laughs> that was a great moment. And just the way they introduced Thanos back into the story, I thought that was really smart after killing him. And his, like, peak power without the Infinity Glove. Right. I like that Tony Stark was able to craft a new Infinity Gauntlet. I thought that was so cool. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of cool details. The movie is three hours long, and it needs all those, like, every single minute of it, because every single moment in that movie means something and is building towards something else that's already been building towards for 11 years. So, uh, I, I mean, I think the movie, it's definitely a top five Marvel movie for me. I don't know if I want to put it any higher than that yet. I want to see it at least one more time. Um, but I, I loved it. I, I don't think it's possible for it to be a good film you know like i don't think it could ever be something as good as the winter soldier from a filmmaking standpoint right just because of how many characters how much plot how there's just too much it it was more about it it felt like the season finale of a tv show right you're never going to get that perfect right you just it's more for the fans than anyone else and it's just it's moving around the pieces on the checkerboard kicking some off it feels like the recalibration you know yeah. And that's kind of what it needed to be. And I'm totally fine with that. Iron Iron Man's death, like his his book closing was exactly what I wanted. And Steve 
going back and getting the rain check on the dance with um, Peggy. With Peggy that he's been waiting for for his whole life, basically. I love those characters. I watched all of Agent Carter. That was just so cool. I'm I'm glad that they got like Haley Atwell back and just they did everything right. Yeah, I don't think there was anything they did wrong. I think people are upset about Fat Thor, (laughs) which I kind of get. I kind of get why you'd be upset about that because. A lot of people are going into this thinking it's his ending too, but it's clearly not. Right. <laughs> but seeing him like that for the whole movie, I can I get how that upsets some people, but I think it works. It works with the character. It's thematically correct for the kind of person he is. And I don't know. I'm fine with it. We're going to see more Thor, so that's okay. I, I mean, in that case, it's kind of weird for Thor, because Thor is so different from Captain America and Iron Man in the sense that he is a god, so he's supposed to be basically an eternal being. Like, Captain America and Iron Man are supposed to die eventually. They're not supposed to live forever. But Thor can continue to change and evolve and adapt and hang out with new characters and see new worlds forever, essentially. So I get, like, why he would continue to have this, like, youthful energy and spirit to want to keep going on adventures and fighting things while Captain America would want to settle down and Iron Man, you know, can't help himself and decides that he has to sacrifice himself to save everybody. Like, they're yeah. all, it's all very fitting to their characters how they end up. I, I completely agree. Like, I'm fine with how Thor ended up. The one person that I think got done pretty dirty is, uh, um, obviously, Black Widow. <laughs> I get, obviously, they, they kind of shot themselves in the foot, or if they did it on purpose by making it so you need to trade a soul for a soul. And a lot of people are saying that they think Black Widow's movie, which is the first Phase 4 movie, allegedly, they think that's going to be a prequel. But I think it would be awesome if they just kind of bring her back in a cool way. And I don't know. or They still have the Time Stone. They could figure out a way to work Loki into that somehow. I think there's still hope for her. Because... Leaving Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye alive and not heard seems like such a mistake. It's kind of weird because they set up Hawkeye to have more stakes. Like, he had more to lose than she did with his whole family and everything. So you get, like, why she had to be the one to go. But at the same time, I feel like we would all watch a Black Widow movie over a Hawkeye movie any day. So, yeah, so it's I kind would, of weird. Especially if it was, like, dark. Right. I don't know. It's a weird choice. I see, like, in in fiction why it worked like that. But I think on, like, a macro level, third person, like, looking outsider looking in, it doesn't make sense as a moviegoer why she was the one that died. Yeah. I totally agree. It just, it sucks. Because she, she's kind of in a blank slate for the entire universe, but she did have some cool character building behind her. She does have a pretty tragic backstory, I liked Hulk's reaction to her dying, and I don't know. That just that really that that kind of rubbed me the wrong way choosing her over Hawkeye because leaving Hawkeye alive kind of sets him up for the Kate Bishop story that they're allegedly doing for the TV show. But he's not the right Hawkeye for that. Like his daughter might be the perfect Kate Bishop. Like that's fine, but he's not Hawkeye. You know, right? He's he's a very different Hawkeye than the Matt Faction one. So, yeah. like, I, I could see them kind of, you know, making that work, shoehorning it in, and kind of completely changing his demeanor to fit that, but it, it doesn't I it doesn't have the same impact as, like, leaving Black Widow alive would have. It, yeah, it really doesn't. I just, I don't, I don't know how they could have done it differently. Like, they, 
there's nothing they really could have done other it's it's either kill hawkeye or kill her right right like, that's it. i mean like that that that's the basics soul for a soul you can't <laughs> you can't not have that and the rest of the core avengers are so good that i wouldn't want any of them to go out that early and not be in the final battle right so it just felt weird having pepper Potts as a stand-in and that female team-up moment when you know she should have been there yeah especially when she's been around for more movies than probably most of those characters she's been around since iron man 2 right like that's right she... yeah i mean she shows up in iron man 2 and she's in like all the avengers movies like she's been an avenger since the very beginning and she she was the lead avenger in nick fury and tony stark's absence after you know the the five years between infinity war and endgame right so, so. It, it seems weird that a character that's devoted their entire life to being an Avenger and kind of keeping everybody together would be the the one that isn't around to see everything pan out. Right. And I, I it felt weird with Peter Quill and Gamora, but then I think back to Infinity War and we got we got what we've been what I've been wanting for all both Guardians movies. So I already got what I want. I'm going to probably get to see it again in 2022 or whenever that movie comes out. <laughs> so I'm fine with that arc. I love Rocket's arc so much. Just that's cool that he's finally getting it. That he doesn't have to be a little shit all the time. <laughs> to He's like finally realizing that his family is, you know, Groot, Peter, right. uh, Drax, and the lady with the antennas. <laughs> I, I love the commitment to fucking <laughs> Mantis's uh aesthetic where she doesn't know what the <laughs> fuck to do did you notice that like every time she showed up on yeah, the battlefield she's she has like, like no idea what's going on or like, like how to know. how to react like in a violent situation like she just just looks so strange all the time yeah i love her oh, man yeah, that final fight was great the giant man stuff was funny yeah they they just they set the board the my, my closing thought here they set the board to do some really cool stuff in the future and they ended the plot threads that needed to end so they did it. They figured it out. They did a good job. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a comic book movie that was supposed to close 11 years of story and have this massive spectacle of everybody teaming up and fighting the biggest fight that's ever happened in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they completely nailed that better than I thought they could. So I think in that sense, it's a success. That's what the movie was supposed to do, and it was successful in that regard. It's just cool to have something wrap up in a positive way where I was thinking about it. This is a Marvel universe. It has its highs and lows, right? Yeah, definitely. But it's so easy to attach memories to it. Like they're really good anchor points because they've done a good job at spreading them out over summer, winter, making sure like that they fill the right times in people's lives. And I think that's really cool what they've done with it, regardless of whether or not it's owned by fucking evil Disney and shit. Right. They've done a really good job and making it feel like something more than a product. I mean, they for sure have made something that we thought would never be possible. I mean, they, you know, prior to Iron Man 1, like 90% of superhero movies sucked. So and me fact- and you have a tolerance level. <laughs> astronomically high for yeah. bad superhero movies. Right. <laughs> like, we liked both Amazing Spider-Mans in theaters. You like the DC... Uh, Batman vs Superman Justice League. Right. I'm growing less tolerant as time goes on because <laughs> I've been exposed to such good content. But like overall, like we have a pretty high tolerance for bullshit. Right. So it's cool that we've got some good stuff. 
Right. I, I think out of the, like, 20 movies, I think the worst movie out of the bunch is probably still, like, a 6 out of 10. So, yeah, like Thor 1? Yeah. So, like, that's, that, the worst one, that's right? a really high achievement, that they were able to make 21 movies of superhero characters and make them all at least, like, at the very worst, it's a decent movie. Yeah. Totally. So, I'm gonna. This I didn't want to see Infinity War again. I was like, cool, that was fine. Like that, that Infinity War just felt like setup. This felt like the delivery. I want to see this one again. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna go out and see this one again. No question. I thought it was cool also that they let everyone do their signatures at the end of the credits. Yeah, the, the core um, five Avengers. Are- yeah, I mean that's the only like, I guess end credit scene in the movie. I stuck around to the very end till the lights came on because I didn't believe that there wasn't gonna be an end credit scene. Um. But there, there is that cool scene with all the characters doing their signatures at the mid, mid-roll. Yeah. Oh, man. But, you know, we're closing out this conversation here. I'm glad we decided to start talking about every movie we enjoy that we see because <laughs> this is our longest and most, like, quality conversation in a long time <laughs> a movie. But next week I kind of want to do – there's a horror movie that released this weekend – if anyone's still listening, it's called Body at Brighton Rock. And the reason that is noteworthy is that it's directed by Roxanne Benjamin, who is a producer behind VHS and VHS 2. And I think Viral and Southbound, I'm pretty sure. And I know she did that movie XX with St. Vincent. So I don't know who the fuck picked this weekend to release her movie, but do her <laughs> a favor and rent it. I kind of want to talk about that one next week and get back to horror. But I gave Avengers a 5 out of 5. <laughs> <laughs> like, how, how do you not yeah i mean you have to it it's a culmination of 11 years of work and they nailed it so you gotta you gotta give them the highest marks for that so I, i'd agree with that rating for sure cool so we will see you guys next week bye bye